Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. So if you brought your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, it's also all going to be on the screen, and so you can check out the verses on the screen as well. But Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And uh, just to open, um, my wife Katie and I, uh, we have been really into a TV show for like the past month um, called The Crown. It's on Netflix. Do you guys know about The Crown? Anyone? All right. Awesome. Yes, we are as well. Uh, we, we started it like three years ago, and I just didn't get into it at all. And then like the queen died, um, and uh, long, long live the king. And, uh, and I was like, man, like I, now I'm into it. And I don't know if I just like mentally had to know like the end of the story before I could get into the beginning. I'm not sure what it was, but I was just like, I'm not in and now I'm in. Um, but basically the story of the crown is about uh, Queen Elizabeth II, uh, who was an incredible, I, I think the longest reigning uh, monarch in English history, and she was this amazing queen. She lived through uh, basically from right after World War II all the way up until uh, like, to, like, like just a few months ago. And like just to show like how like old she was, um, the, the part of the show we're at right now is in like 1992 and she's turning 70 and Katie and I are like, she has 30 years left of reigning. Like that's like, she was almost 100 when she, uh, when she died. And so like, it's a, it's a really crazy show. But basically the reason I'm telling you this story is because we became like very fascinated and I've become very fascinated about the idea of like the monarchy in Britain. It's kind of weird because we live in America, we have a president, we elect them every four years. Um, they also have something like a president, they have a prime minister. Anyone from England or Canada here in the room, in the, in the house? Got a Canadian? Shout out, okay, so you, you have a king. You have a king, his name is Jesus, but you have another king named Charles. Um, and so, um, yeah, like, so they have a prime minister that they vote in and they have elections like us, but then they also have, it's called a constitutional monarchy because they have a, a prime minister, but they also have a king or a queen who it's just whoever is up next. And King Charles is gonna be there until he dies or he abdicates. And then it's gonna be William and then it's gonna be William's son. I don't remember his name, so I'm sure somebody does know. But like, it's interesting. But like, one of the things that's like a theme of the show, and I do have a point to this, guys. Um, this is like a really, like at this point, it's just like a really bad podcast about the crown. You know, like, where is this going? It's like, I would not listen to this whole podcast, you know? Um, but like the whole point of the show, one of the things that they talk about a lot is just the idea, they're questioning like what's the point of the monarchy? Because it's this queen, she has no power except just sort of like importance. Like she can't make any governmental decisions. Uh, the prime minister doesn't consult her. Actually to be a good queen or a good king, you actually really aren't supposed to tell the prime minister what to do. You're just supposed to be there and kind of like be above all of it. And so throughout the, the show, many different people at many different times are like, why are we paying all this taxpayer money for this queen who is like, or this royal family? And like, like, like what's the point? And um, the reason I, I share this is because I do think in some way um, we, a, a, our generation uh, collectively, but also even sometimes you and I, I think we can think that about um, Jesus, about church about religion in general. I think we could think like, okay, like I know that Jesus is out there. I know he's important. I know that he's kind of someone that is a figurehead, but, but I'm not quite so sure how it connects to my daily life. 
I'm not quite so sure how uh, this tradition that we're doing, it, it really makes sense in the modern world, or it just seems like sometimes that, that God is kind of like the queen. It's like, yes, he's out there, but like, does he have any influence on what's actually happening? Like, th- like so many times, I'm sure over the years, the queen is like, man, something terrible is happening in the world. But even though she's the queen, it's like, well, the parliament's got to deal with it. The prime minister's got to deal with it. And sometimes we feel like, man, like, is that what Jesus is like? Like, like there are all these bad things happening in the world. And sometimes it doesn't seem like he's taking care of them. That there are things that happen that even in our own lives, and sometimes it feels like God is distant. And so a lot of people in our generation have decided, like, church or God isn't really for me. Even if it's real, it just feels irrelevant to my life. And maybe even for you and for me, we can be tempted to think these things. So what I think is interesting is that we're in this series right now talking about Christmas, talking about the prophecies of Jesus and Jesus' birth. And if you start to study these, one of the things that is the most consistent is that Um, It's a prophecy that Jesus, that the Messiah, is going to be a king. So we're going to talk about Jesus being king. But but first off, I just want to establish this fact, like Jesus is king. That's what the Bible talks about. And and there are many titles that Jesus had. In, In his life, he was called a son, a brother, a carpenter. He was called an illegitimate child. He was called a rabbi. He was called a heretic. He was called a prophet. He was called Messiah. He was called Lord. He was called God. Those were titles that were given to him by other people in his life. Christians today, um, our theology would say that he is a savior, that he's a forgiver, that he's a perfect sacrifice, that he's master, that he's high priest, that he's intercessor. But one of the most common things in scripture for him to be called is a king. And actually in the Christmas story, there's a famous part of the Christmas story where Jesus, even as a baby laying in a manger in Bethlehem, is referred to as king. And it's in Matthew chapter two, it's on the screen, and and this is what it says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, everybody say Magi. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. So here's what's interesting. These magi, everybody say magi. Magi, um, they have been called kings, we three kings. They're not kings. Magi, the other, ver- or the other time that Greek word is used in uh, the New Testament, it's called a sorcerer. It's a magician. And so these magi, maybe there were three, maybe there were more, these were people who were practicing the dark arts. That they were, they're looking at the stars and trying to discern the future. They're using witchcraft and they're using all of these spiritual elements to discern what's happening in the world. So what's interesting though is, um, and by the way, like as Christians, we, we don't really believe in doing that. We don't think that that's a good idea, a wise idea to do. But even them spiritually practicing the dark arts that they were experiencing and practicing they discerned that something had happened. And I think sometimes that actually can be true if you look at the life of Jesus, that there are religious people who miss Jesus, but there's demonic forces that are very aware of Jesus and are afraid of Jesus. It's a pretty interesting thing to think about that even demons oftentimes will take Jesus more seriously than the people of God who can sometimes ignore him. 
And so what, what these guys are doing is they're actually saying, hey, we have used our methodology, our spirituality to discern that a king has been born. So they're aware that a king has been born. And, and the famous story is that, that they went to Herod. Uh, Herod causes this great um, infanticide where, where he kills all of the babies under the age of two in Bethlehem. A terrible, terrible thing happens. But before that happens, we read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 this, that on coming to the house, so the Magi show up where Mary, Joseph, and Bethlehem are. They say they saw this child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. So these magicians, they recognized the significance of this baby. They knew how powerful Jesus was. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, even these gifts are very significant. First off, um, the reason that they brought gifts, today, it's like we kind of bring gifts to like help out the parents. It's like, okay, like I know you're gonna need these diapers, like here's some huggies. These aren't like pampers. They're not like, well, you know, we thought you could use this. You know, like gold is not useful at all for like a child. It's like the worst possible thing you could bring. No, but like these gifts are in fact symbolic. You would bring gold to a king as a tribute. And so they're bringing tribute. They're viewing him as a king. Frankincense that word incense is even in there. You burned incense as a way to worship God. And so they're actually acting that he's not only a king, but they're saying he's a deity. And then myrrh what was associated with embalming and, and, and burial. And so they're prophetically even saying right now, like, yes, this is a king. Yes, this is God. But they're even pointing to his death, even at his birth. They're saying that one day he will die and that he will uh, die for the sins of the world. And so these magi who, who didn't know, they weren't like Bible scholars. They, they weren't like reading through the Old Testament, reading their commentaries, going to Bible class, and they're like, I think Jesus is coming soon. No, they didn't know that. They were doing another method entirely, but they were able to discern that this is a king. And so Jesus is a king, but what's interesting is that even though these, these guys weren't Bible scholars, that throughout the Bible, there is revelation that Jesus was going to be a king. Now, now, this brings up a very important application point for us. That, you know, it's possible to gain knowledge. It's possible to gain um, good experiences. It's possible to, to dabble in spiritualities outside of Christianity and gain benefit from it. But that doesn't mean it's healthy and that doesn't mean it's good. The scripture actually talks about the fact that there really are only two sides. There's the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of Satan. And, and Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy, but sometimes he wants to bait the hook with something. And it's easy to dabble in spiritualities. It's easy to dabble in manifesting or crystals or other things that, that are harmful to you. But, but you can be gaining some sort of a, a immediate advantage from it. And so you're wanting to keep doing it. But, but I wanna let you know what, what we see here is that we have all we need through Christ. God has given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. God has given us the revelation of his word. God has given us his community. And so maybe there aren't, there, there, there could be more instant gratification that comes from other spiritualities. But at the end of that, it's harmful. And, and so I would encourage you 
to, to, to go full into the Holy Spirit, go full into the, the scriptures, go full into a relationship with Jesus. You have plenty in the Bible to, to keep you coming back over and over and over again and keep you learning, keep you studying, to keep you occupied. And so keep seeking that. But what we're gonna see in Isaiah chapter nine is we're gonna see a prophecy about Jesus and a prophecy about who he will be specifically as king. Now, as we think about the Christmas story, there's a really important thing that I want you to think about. That, that Jesus, when he came, when he was born, it was a moment that the people of Israel were desperately longing for. So when you think about the birth of Jesus, when you think about Christmas, man, every single person in Israel had been praying and longing for this moment for years and years and years and years. Today, like you and I, like little kids, we grow up and we think like I wanna be a, a YouTube star or I wanna be an NBA player or I wanna be an NFL player. <coughs> little girls in Israel, like they grew up and their desire was they wanted to be the one to give birth to the Messiah. Like that was actually the, the ultimate honor that they could receive. And so they're longing and they're desperate to, to actually see this Messiah, see this Savior come, this prophecy fulfilled. And, and so as we read this, we're reading some of the prophecy that, that people are longing and that people are desperate for. So look with me at Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter nine, verse one. <coughs> Stephen, can I get a cup of water? Thanks. They're looking at Isaiah, look with me at Isaiah chapter nine, verse one. It's a prophecy about Jesus and it says this. It says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he, that's God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So, this may seem like a little bit of a, a strange opening to a text. Thank you. But, but I'm gonna explain what it means. So first off, I want you to notice that there's the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And I put up a little map on the screen of Israel. Now, if you look at the map on the screen, th these, these two names, Zebulun and Naphtali, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and when God gave the people the promised land, they split it, the land into 12 different tribes. And if you see up there at the very top, there's a little lake, and right to the left of that lake, there's a little orange, and then there's a little maroon. That's the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, what, what this prophecy said was that there was a time where God had humbled this land. And what that means is that um, when the Assyrian army came and they attacked Israel and they like took over. That was part of God's judgment. Um, if you notice like Zebulun, Naphtali, they're up towards the north. The Assyrian army came from the north. And so, <coughs> excuse me, I've been fighting it this week. Um, <clears throat> if you notice like they're right there and so they were the ones who kind of caught the brunt of the attack, right? And so, like, think about this, like, in World War II, there's, like, a famous battle, and it's the Battle of Normandy, D-Day, the invasion. And so, like, when, when we think about, like, the Allied forces invading the mainland of Europe, 
like they invaded a lot of places. They invaded a lot of Europe, but like Normandy is like the one that kind of gets called out because it's like that's where it happened. Zebulun and Naphtali is where it happened. Like they were the first to get, you know, all of their villages burned and all of the people carried off into slavery and people killed and, 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 and the terrible things happening. And so they had this great shame around that. And what this prophecy says is this was a land of shame, but there's gonna come a day when God actually honors you. In the future, he will honor this land. And the reason is because this land is where Jesus is gonna be from. He was born in Bethlehem in the south, but he's gonna live in Nazareth, which is in the maroon spot. And then he's gonna do ministry in Galilee, which is in Naphtali. And so uh, we actually see here that, that this is a prophecy saying Jesus is gonna come one day. And what's interesting about this is what, what the prophet is saying is just Jesus showing up on the scene is glorious. It's honoring. It's bringing great honor to a place. And so you can write this down if you want. Jesus' reign transfers us from disgrace to blessing. Jesus' reign transfers us from disgrace to blessing. Now, I was thinking about this fact. Um, some of us in here, we, we have kind of a crazy story. Now, some of us don't. Some of us, like, we grew up in a Christian home, and, and we've, we've tried our best to live a good life, and we don't have, like, a crazy, wild testimony. Um, and, and if that's your story, like, we, we praise God for that. Some people feel guilty that that's their story. Like, that's awesome. You know, I, I, lo I love, like, if that's your story. But some of us in here, we would say, like, there's been a time in our life where we walked away from God. There's been a time in our life where something happened to us or where we made a decision and we made a mistake and it, it brought us great shame or great embarrassment. And we just really feel like we walked away from God. And so we feel like, man, there was a moment where I was disgraced. There was a moment where, where man, I, I, I was ashamed of who I was. I was ashamed of what I've done. I was ashamed of what had happened to me. And, and I think about that in my life. Like there, there was a huge season of my life where I knew the truth, where I was going to church, but, but I was just way off. I was, I was selfish and, and I, I was kind of unhinged. I was unmotivated. That There were activities that I participated in, there were places that I went, there were things that I pursued that I'm just really embarrassed. And when I think about those moments in my life, like, like I, it, I'm, I'm ashamed of them and I feel disgraced. And, and so what's beautiful is that just Jesus showing up on the scene turns that shame and turns that disgrace in, in, into blessing. <coughs> Jesus has that power to be able to do that. He brings transformation. He brings restoration. That's what he does. When, whatever Jesus touches brings healing. That's Jesus' heart. And so the beauty of the gospel says that, that when Jesus enters your life, the, the, the first thing that he does is he forgives you, but, but then he cleanses you. He, he restores you. He, he renews you. And he removes the, the title on your life that says disgraced, that says shamed. And, and instead, he places a title of you are blessed. You are beloved. You are mine. Now, I need us to understand this blessing 
I'm not saying this is like a financial blessing. I'm not saying that this is uh, everything in your life will be perfect or everything in your life will go the way that you want it. But what I am saying is that the favor and the blessing of God is being known by God, being loved by God, being forgiven, having God uh, give you an opportunity to step into the mission that he has called you to, having God open up doors for you, having God uh, invite you into a church, a church, a family, having God give you his Holy Spirit. And so God does bring great and beautiful blessing in your life just by Jesus stepping into your life. And that's the reign of King Jesus, and that's what happens. And I do want to say specifically, some of you guys in this room, some of us in this room, we do feel disgraced. We do feel shame. Maybe it's because of something that you have done. Maybe because of it's, it's something that has happened to you. But, but the beauty of the gospel says that when Jesus steps into his life, your life, he, he forgives you, but, but he also redeems you. He restores you. He gives you a new name. He gives you a new story. And that is the, the promise of what happens. And so we see right away, Jesus' reign, it, it brings transformation. It moves us from disgrace to blessing. Number, uh, let's keep reading. Look at verse three of Isaiah chapter nine, and it says this, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at a harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now, what, what Isaiah is describing here is he's describing a battle. And sorry, that, that's, that, that's, that's not really the right verse, so I apologize for that. But, but if you look on the, it's not the right verse on the screen, but in your, in, in your Bibles, Isaiah 9-3, that is what it says. And what he's describing is, he, he's describing this reality and this fact that, um, that, that there is a battle that's happened and that a victory has been won. And that because this victory has happened, there is great rejoicing among the people as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And so think about this battle. Like there, there's a war that's happened, and back in the day when this was being written, like people would, would, would ride into a city, they would take over the city, and like the next thing that would happen is like there's plunder. If somebody has nice clothes, like you get to take those nice clothes because you won the battle. If somebody has a horse that you like, if you won the battle, you get the horse. So if somebody's like, man, this is, that, that's your house, it's like, well, it's my house now because I won the battle. And, and so he's talking about these victories, he's talking about this great rejoicing. And, and so what we see is that the next point is this, that Jesus' reign moves us from sorrow to joy, from sorrow to joy. He's talking about a victory and the joy that comes from a victory. Now, what's interesting is that this has not necessarily taken place yet. Like, if you haven't noticed, um, not all Christians are living in, in this state of, you know what, we're all in victory. Like, we're not all sitting around like, yeah, like, all my problems are solved. Um, there's no more problems. There's no more sorrow. There's no more trauma. There's no more brokenness. There's no more sin. Like, like we're not there. We're not, we're not living in this great victory yet. In fact, like if, if you haven't noticed, we are in it like a great battle. Uh, and, and you and I, each and every day, we wake up and we're in a battle. Some of us were like in a battle for, for, for a temptation. And right now you're battling and you're like, man, this is the, the hardest time of my life where I'm really trying to battle and really trying to live for God, but it's extremely difficult. 
Some of us, we're battling emotionally and we're discouraged or we're anxious or we're, our minds are not at peace. And it's like, man, every day is a battle. Some of us, man, we're, we're dealing with the effects of, of sickness in our body or we're dealing with just discouragement as we look out at the world or we're dealing with brokenness in our family. There's all these battles that we're in. And so all these battles are our sorrow, they're difficulties, they're hardships that we face. And, and so the question can come and it's like, man, why is it that, that Jesus, he promised us that he was gonna bring us victory. He promised us that he was gonna bring us joy. Why am I not experiencing the ultimate joy that Jesus said he was gonna bring? And so what we need to realize is that you and me, in this moment, we are still waiting for the full joy to happen. We are still waiting. And, and, but but as, as Christians, that, that we are called by the Holy Spirit to still walk in joy. We're called to be resilient people. We're called to look forward to the fact that when Jesus is going to come back. And actually in Isaiah 9, this verse that we just read, the, the Jewish people, they are very much still waiting for this victory to happen. So us as, as Christians, um, we have the very least have the Holy Spirit and there are some Jews who are uh, believers in Christ, but, but many of them, um, they, they don't believe in Christ yet. And if you don't know, like, um, I mean, the, the Jewish history is extremely challenging. It's extremely difficult. It was then, and it has been for the duration of time. And the Jewish people are still God's chosen people. Scripture talks about this. And God still actually has an amazing plan for the Jewish people. And a lot of the end time stuff that we study in the Bible is actually um, God redeeming the Jewish people. And there's gonna be a remnant of the Jewish people that turn to Christ. So God is not done with, with the Jewish people yet. And so even this prophecy that talks about the victory that those people will experience, like that, that is still coming true and that is a fruition. Um, but but it, I mean, even for, from all time, like, it's always been that the Jewish people are under attack. We think about that with the Holocaust. Lately, um, I mean, good grief, they're under attack from Kanye West. I mean, it's like, it's just tough. And uh, so, I mean, that, that's like literally, um, they're waiting and they're longing. And you and I as Christians, we're waiting and we're longing as well. We're, we're, we're living in a world of sorrow, but we are called to be people of joy even in the midst of the sorrow. So that's the, the, the second thing is that Jesus' reign moves us from sorrow to joy. Let's keep looking. Verse four, it says this. <coughs> that is the right verse. It says, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning for the fuel of the fire. Now, this is a really interesting imagery. There's so much fascinating imagery when we read the, the prophets like Isaiah. And look at, look at this last sentence. He said, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. Now, what he's saying here is that if you fight a battle, there's swords and shields and spears, like it's gonna be messy, it's gonna be gory. And so at the end of the battle, if you've been fighting and you've been in your, your boots and you've been sweating and you've been trudging through the mud and you've been fighting a long battle, your boots are worn out, but the battle is finally over, it's finally done. Or, or your garment is, is maybe there's blood, maybe there's dirt, maybe there's grime, but the battle's finally over, you finally won the victory. What does he say? You're gonna burn 
this warrior's garments. You're going to burn your boots. You're going to burn your garments. Why? Because the victory is won. You don't need those anymore. And so he's giving this imagery that when Jesus comes, when he finally establishes his throne, there is going to be peace on earth. And so there's not going to be a need for war anymore. There's not going to be a need for, for, for us to fight these battles because Jesus is going to establish peace. So you can write this down. Jesus' reign is a reign of peace. Jesus' reign is a reign of peace. Now, once again, we see this. This has not happened yet. We, we don't live in a world of peace. We, we don't live in a world of peace internally. We don't have internal peace. We don't have relational peace with our families. We find that out more than any other time during the holidays. We, we don't have uh, peace within even our country with different political parties and divisions. We don't have peace in our world. So this, this promise still hasn't come true yet. And we are still waiting and longing for Jesus to bring peace. But at the end of time, the Bible talks about that there will be a special thousand-year reign where Jesus does come back and he does reign on the earth and it will be a special time of peace. The Bible talks a lot about this. And actually, there's a really fascinating verse a little later in Isaiah, and I put it on the screen. Look at it. Verse, uh, Isaiah 11, verse 6, and it says this. Just listen. There's such beautiful imagery here. He says, the wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Like he's literally saying, like, it's going to be so peaceful that people are going to be having lions as pets. Like here, there's a toddler. It would be a good idea for him to hang out with a lion. That's how peaceful it is. The cow will feed with the bear. Um, if that was reversed, it wouldn't be as, as good. Like the bear will feed with the cow, you know, like because um, the bear's having fun. The cow might not be. But, but no, he's saying the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as water covers the sea. Now, I think about this. Uh, my son Isaiah is two, and he really loves snakes a lot. He is obsessed with snakes. Uh, his grandmother got him a book about snakes, and it has all the different types of snakes. And so we'll just be randomly walking, and he'll be like, want to see a bull snake. You know, he just like pulls a snake out. He's like, I just really want to see one, you know. Or he'll just be like, you know, want to see a constrictor. And so, like, I sometimes have to explain to him, like, I don't think we're going to see a boa constrictor today. I don't think we're going to see a rattlesnake today. But we do have an instruction for him because he's so fascinated with snakes. He loves them. And in, in our lives, as just we've been walking around, we've seen, video, or we've seen snakes five times. I've taken five videos, and I have them on my phone. So we just sometimes watch them in rapid succession, all the snakes that we've seen over the years together. But we have a, a saying for Isaiah, and we tell him, we say, what do you do if you see a snake? Because, like, he, he's excited, and he's been, like, learning about constrictors and rattlesnakes. We're like, we don't want him to, like, bring one in or, like, touch one. We're not in the Millennium Kingdom yet. And so we say, like, what do you do? And he says, run inside and tell mama. And it's like, that's right. You just run right in. You tell mom. Because, like, we, we live in a time where Isaiah is not old enough to be touching snakes. But what, what Jesus is saying and what this prophecy is saying is that there will be a time 
when the world has such peace, when Jesus is reigning and he establishes such peace, that, that there literally will be no violence at all. Even, even something as, as that we take as much for granted as a snake bite, as a lion that desires to eat a lamb, it's not gonna be there. And look at the end. Why is that? And he says this, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Here's what's fascinating. We've had times of peace in the world before. Um, during the time of Christ, the Romans were ruling and there was something called the Pax Romana. That is the Roman peace. Now the Pax Romana was a time of unprecedented peace on the earth. And the reason that it was a time of unprecedented peace is because the Romans had the most powerful army and they basically decided we are going to have peace and there's nothing you can do about it. And so if you would like to uh, disrupt the peace, if you'd like to uh, rebel against us, um, we're happy to enslave you, we're happy to kill you, we're happy to um, crucify you in mass quantities in order to keep the peace in happening. And, and so there's been times of peace, but, but a peace that is enforced by military might, some might say it's not true peace. It's only a forced peace. And even a peace enforced by military might cannot stop a bear from attacking a lamb, cannot stop a, a viper from biting a baby. But, but what Jesus is saying, or what the scripture is saying is that when Jesus is ruling and when he is reigning, that every single person will know so much about Jesus that peace will reign in their lives, that peace will reign among even the animal kingdom and that peace will reign on the earth. You see, the more that you know Jesus, the more you have peace in your life, the more that you experience the peace of God, the more that you set your mind on the things of God, the more you experience the peace of God. But when Jesus is ruling and reigning, then everyone will see God and everyone will know the peace of God. Let's read the last verse that we're gonna read in Isaiah chapter nine, and we'll start to wrap things up. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, I want you to think about what we've talked about so far. We've talked about the fact that when Jesus reigns and when he's king, that he's gonna take away our disgrace and he's going to invite us into a life of blessing. We've talked about the fact that he takes sorrow and turns it into joy and he brings peace. Now, that's the, the, the first part of, of the teaching. The first part of, of this message from verses one to five was the what. This is what Jesus is going to do. The, the second verse is the how. And, and he says right here, he's, he says, to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And so Isaiah is saying that, that this peace, this joy, this blessing, it's not going to come because humans invented a new innovation. It's not going to come because they passed a new law. It's not going to come because uh, they invented a new form of government. It's going to come because a child is born and a son is given. 
And so the hope of humanity, it's not an innovation. It's not a, a, a te- technology. It's not creativity. The hope of humanity is Jesus. And when Jesus comes and when he does establish his kingdom, that is when true hope, true joy, true peace comes. That's true for the world, but that's also true for your individual life. When you experience Jesus as your king, these things start to happen in your life. And so what we see, I see here that the government shall be upon his shoulders, that Jesus will be a king, and he will, when he comes back and when he returns, he will eliminate all other forms of government. Humanity has tried a lot of forms of government. They've tried a monarchy and a king, and sometimes there's a good king and sometimes there's a bad king. That They've tried um, communism, let the people rule. Um, that's literally never worked once. Um, they, they've tried democracy, and, and democracy uh, seems to be a, a decent form of government, but even as we're discovering in our country right now, it's not perfect. Winston Churchill himself said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the other forms of government. And so what we have discovered in all of the experiments of history is that humanity has not figured out a good way to govern and rule themselves. And so what what the Bible says in the good news of the Bible is that the only true way for humanity to experience flourishing and peace is for God to rule over them. And what the promise of Jesus is, is that yes, he did come as a child, but when he comes back a second time and he will return a second time, he will return as a king and he will rule and he will reign. The entire government will be on his shoulders. And look at the type of reign he will have, a wonderful counselor that he will counsel, he will lead with wisdom, he will guide us. He's a mighty God, an everlasting father, even in Isaiah, predicting that Jesus is God He is the prince of peace. We've already talked about peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. And notice this last part. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will do this. Now, I want to put up two more verses because I want to talk a couple more things just about Jesus as king and his rule and his reign. And then we'll invite the band back up to close out our time. Romans 14, it talks about another element of Jesus' kingdom. And it says this, it says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so what we see is that when Jesus establishes his kingdom, there's these three elements. There's righteousness, there's peace, and there's joy. Now, I think we understand the idea of peace and joy. Peace comes uh, when we don't, don't experience anxiety or we don't experience fear, joy comes when we experience happiness or satisfaction. But what is righteousness? Well, righteousness, you see, is not simply you and me doing good things, but actually, biblically, righteousness means that there is um, compassion for every single walk of life and every single social status. And so biblical righteousness means that the most powerful, they, they lay down their power status in order to help those who are the most weak uh, be, become full of dignity and become full of flourishing. And this isn't enforced 
by uh, the government. This is not like um, a tax on the rich to feed the poor. This is a willing power people or rich people saying, I, I'm going to lay down what, what is a, a benefit or a privilege to me in order that others may flourish and in order that those who are needy will uh, find true peace and true equality and true satisfaction. So it's a beautiful thing. Now, now what I was thinking was that these elements, righteousness, peace, peace, and joy, we have had kingdoms in this world that have been peaceful kingdoms. I talked about Rome. We have had kingdoms in this world that have attempted to be joyful kingdoms, that have attempted pleasure. Even as a society, we are experimenting with saying, we just want to have fun. We just want to have pleasure at all times. But we have never had a kingdom that could do all three, that could have peace, that could have joy, and that could have true righteousness. And so what we see is that when Jesus comes, that he is going to bring these things together. <coughs> so the question is this, and thanks for sticking with me with all the coughing. Appreciate it, sorry. What do we do about this kingdom? We have a king, his name is Jesus, and he does rule, he does reign. What well, says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with a reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So, so if you're here, and as you're hearing me talk about King Jesus, as you're hearing me say that there is a king and this is the type of kingdom he's going to have, and you would say, I agree with that. I receive that. I, I want this. Then this is your response. Well, first off, it's a response of gratitude. It's a response of thankfulness. It's a response for you to say, God, I am thankful for you. I am thankful for your kingdom. I'm thankful that you've invited me into your kingdom. I'm thankful for what your kingdom is doing in my life. I'm thankful for what your kingdom is doing in the world. It's looking to live a heart and a response of gratitude. That's the first thing. The second thing is to worship God, to live your life. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, that, that we're thankful and we worship God. But we don't just worship God how we want to do it, like I'm just going to do my thing and hopefully God likes it. No, we worship him with reverence and with awe. You know what that means? That means that we, in our hearts, give God the right respect. And in our hearts, we say, God, I want everything in my life to align with you. I know I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I want to live a life of holiness. I want to live a life of obedience. I don't want to just live the way that I want to live. I want to live the way that you want me to live. I want, I want to repent of doing wrong when, when I, I do wrong. I, I want to live according to your word. I, I want to align my life with yours. But because you're part of a kingdom, you're building a kingdom, and I want to be as best I can a citizen of that kingdom. So three things. We live with gratitude. We worship God in every aspect of our lives. And we, we live a life of reverence and awe. We try to align our lives with God and with what he's doing. At this time, I'm gonna ask us to bow our heads and pray and the worship team's gonna come back up and finish out our time. God, we thank you for the fact that you are king. We thank you for Jesus that to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And Lord, we recognize that, that, that Jesus is so amazing and he's so incredible and he's so miraculous that 
that even men, wise men, magi that, 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 that didn't know you were able to discern how powerful and great he was. And so God, forgive us for taking for granted how powerful and great Jesus is. And God, I pray that we would understand and realize the greatness of Jesus as a king, that we would see that he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. God, God, I ask that you would help us to be able to understand and know, just to be thankful, to worship with reverence and awe. God, I pray that if there are things in our lives that are keeping us from being able to be truly reverent before you, I pray that we would lay them down. I pray that you would help us to even see more and more how great and how powerful you are. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.